0: Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Boldo Racing Team.
1: Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Four Pepsi Max Group, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> be, been here before.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the number one target
2: on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you
1: know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not. Dickhead, you could say it's just it's they're just there's good racing and I, I enjoy it. Yeah. From the race tracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars.
0: Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars for another week. Joining me the busiest man in motorsports, Richard
3: Kroll. Good evening, lies. Richard. Live, all live. Hello, Craig, how are you?
0: Yeah, very good for time. And also Peter Norton, who I think now is officially a one-time winner. Of uh, a V8 media award, a little bit like myself, Peter. Uh,
2: Yes, yes. uh, uh, Very happy with one. Would love to get more in the future. I better pull up my socks.
0: Mm, Yes, like I said, it's hard to beat. uh, It's hard to beat the busiest man in motorsport, isn't it? it. it. (laughs) Hey, one thing that. I, I, I read the headline, Fogs, who was on the show last week, had a had a fantastic headline this week, and it was an exclusive for the uh, Fairfax Press, and that was, I felt like there was a CEO channeling a former chairman slash executive chairman of their supercars. We will quit Bathurst. Uh, we will quit Bathurst. That would be a big story. We will quit the Australian Grand Prix, they said, Richard after the uh, shenanigans of the last time that happened, where both parties, not uh, the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, and V8 supercars had their backsides handed to them on a platter for doing it, could we see history repeating?
3: No, I don't think V8s will part from the Grand Prix because I think common sense will ultimately prevail. There are a couple of couple of reasons for this, and, and it does kind of go both ways. So I'm reasonably opinionated about where a lot of this falls, and I think it's on the, on the feet of a very old, possibly slightly seen bloke who runs Formula 1. Um, it, V8 supercars, for starters, needs the Grand Prix. Um, it's outside of the Sandown 500, their only suburban event in Victoria, uh, in the middle of the city. Outside of that, they've got nothing. They've got Phillip Island, two hours southeast, Winston two hours to the north and the Sandown 500, that's it. So they need the Grand Prix. They need it for that that Melbourne CBD aspect, for all the corporate and all the sponsorship stuff that goes with it. It's the second highest TV audience of the year for V8 supercars. So the the Channel 10 coverage on that gets over a million people watching on Sunday. Second only to Bathurst in terms of motor racing in Australia for the year. So it's a significant TV event. It's an important event for V8 supercars. But the bottom line is, is that Bernie Eccleston doesn't want eight supercars there as a championship round because he's too worried for whatever reason, and I suspect that it's probably not what some people are saying that they'll take the gloss off Formula One I, I don't know, really know what the reason is, but Formula One has this problem where they're so insular and they look so internally that they're not, at least from my perspective as a fan aware of what these events that they're charging so many millions of dollars to host the Grand Prix every year I don't know if they know what they're going through and how difficult it is to get people through the gates in this day and age. Um, it's very, very important that they ultimately come around, and, and it's going to rely on pressure from the Grand Prix Corporation and from the Victorian government, who are ultimately paying the bill, to, to get Formula 1 to wise up and go, look, we don't mind if it's a championship round for V8 supercars. Everything else is in line. TV deal works. Fox and Network 10 have both the v 8 and Formula 1. There's no problems there. They've got a great pit lane, they could do pit stops, they could do whatever they want. It's a long program, four days, half the support category of quipsil. Uh, of it could all work, but I suspect that uh, it needs someone in the line management to uh, sign off on it. So that's where the pressure needs to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, Peter, who was the stakeholder that this, uh, that this report was written for? The Grand Prix Corporation know what they need, the VH supercars know what they need, It could only have been Bernie Eccleston, which Richard so aptly uh, spoke about.
2: I think Richard has targeted that uh, perfectly. And the timing's actually kind of perfect. I think Bernie has acknowledged that the show for Formula One is really, really weak at the moment. And how do you get the punters through the gate? Well, if you've got a weak show in Formula One, you need to make sure the whole program is as action-packed as possible. And I think there's been a tendency in past years when Formula One was stronger, that the support categories was a, a procession. Um, you had the uh, historic cars just going and doing parade laps. So if your support categories, all of them, were just a parade and no real action required, um yeah, that was fine if Formula One was delivering the excitement. I think that the, uh, uh, the Formula One corporation, they know what's needed, that they need an action-packed program to get bums on seats. Uh, So, yeah, I think uh, Richard's spot on. It's all about Bernie. And, um, yeah, you've got to be careful with negotiations like this. Sometimes people get stubborn if you insult them too much. Uh, Sometimes you need to allow people a a graceful way to back down without losing face. And that's the risk of having a a very public kind of statement like that. Uh, And we're not talking about this year. We're not talking about next year. I think it was um, uh, 2018... Was the the year in question that uh, that they would not appear at? Um, so it's a it's, this is a long range game of chicken. Um, I hope that uh, nothing gets smashed.
0: Peter, you were oh actually I'm thinking it was the year before you were over in the Middle East, uh, and we have seen VX supercars and the Formula One racing for championship points on the same calendar. Albeit it was almost a day's difference in time between when one race started and, or finished and the other one started.
2: Well, I think you're, you're spot on there, Craig. Again, it's a strategy to uh, uh, make sure that nothing detracts from the Formula One show. Well, we know that Formula One is in a weakened state at the moment. How do you get bums on seats? Because it look even more embarrassing for Formula One to have uh, not only a uh, procession out in front with not enough noise, an empty grandstands.
3: Yeah, I, I, I agree with that to an extent. But uh, sound aside, and, and it may be better this year with the new exhaust they've got, The the actual competitive product is no different to when Michael Schumacher won 15 races in the year for Ferrari in the early 2000s. You go through these dominant phases in F1, but you're right in that they're they're very insecure about their products at the moment, and they should be, um, because it's been questioned and challenged more in the last two or three years than it ever has before. And this is why they're coming up with ridiculous ideas like this new qualifying format and you know, talk of Saturday racing. I don't think they need to do any of that. It's about being a bit more holistic about the whole package and what they're offering the punters who are paying the tickets to come through the gate and those watching on television. So, if you had a couple of 250k races, Klitschko style, at the Grand Prix, you'd run it at 11 o'clock on the Sunday or 12 o'clock, with the Grand Prix not starting till four, you'd be done well before any of the pre-formula one stuff is due to start. Um, but it'd give your event something better to promote something bigger and, and a bigger show to um to get behind and it ticks the box of the supercars and the grand prix corp and in theory everyone should win
2: yeah richard i think that what might be different now compared to when schumacher was so dominant is that now you have half the field going bankrupt
3: well this is exactly true yeah absolutely and the cars are sound terrible
0: Yeah, I agree. Mm. It is an interesting one, folks. Once again, right on the money with a great exclusive there for Fairfax, as I mentioned at the top. We'll take a break here on Inside Supercars. When we come back, I'm going to uh, quiz the media on uh, the current media poll that's uh, being doing the rounds of the media association. Uh, It'll be interesting to see your views. On that one. This is Inside Supercars.
1: Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Colthard and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
3: Yeah, I mean it, it. means a lot, you know.
0: Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. Six hundred miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we we're able to beat the two elevens, the boys, and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were
3: able to do. Um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, rest of family.
1: Inside motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars.
0: Welcome back to Inside Supercars here as, uh, well, we get set for 2016. Before we look at Clipsal 500, which uh, is, of course, what Richard every year is able to give us, the 3-2-1, with such monotonous regularity that it now, you know, and now just uh, means whenever Richard talks about a car on the track, the odds shorten significantly. But. Um, Richard, starting starting with yourself, Peter Norton, also with me, Craig Revelle. um, what will be the best event of the year?
3: Ah, uh, we're about to go to it. It, it, it continues to reinvent itself The Quipsel 500. Yes, I'm parochial and I'm a proud South Australian boy and it's our great event, but it, it continues to be hard to go past what this event delivers and every year they continue to reinvent it. They led the way last year by bringing Stadium Super Trucks in, now they've got a six or seven-round national tour around Australia. Um, this year, they've revamped all the grandstands, bigger seats, cup holders, American style. Um, who knows what they'll continue to do in the future? It, it maintains the benchmark, not just for the supercar events, but for any kind of sporting event in Australia, I think. It's right up there. So my answer to that is the of 500. Peter Norton. Well... Uh I'm just trying to
2: find an angle to disagree. We we all know what is the the great race, but that's a race rather than a total package event of many days and the, the total package. Uh, another event that I, I kind of like is uh, Townsville. I think they're learning mm. a lot from uh, the Adelaide event, uh, but it doesn't quite have that same connection with the, the whole of the city and uh, that excitement that Adelaide brings. So... Uh, yeah, I have to agree with Richard. Um, I'm just a little bit nervous about one factor, and it may affect future years more than this year, and that is they've changed the governance of the thing. They're letting public servants stick their fingers into it with <laughs> the abolition of the South Australian Motorsport Board, um, and it's a board that worked. Um, as Richard says, it's an event that's stayed fresh through new ideas and new promotion, and um, unfortunately... Uh, public servants running major events was tried in the ACT, uh, and uh, Canberra has a, a list of uh, failed motorsport events uh, that uh, the public servants had their fingers on.
0: Mm. Yeah, I always love going down to Tasmania, but it pales into comparison to Clipsal. It's my second favourite event every year, Tasmania, and uh, it is to Clipsal, and and uh, I think I think we're all anegiants there. Will there be any new Australian events announced in the year 2016 for either 2017 or 2018, Peter?
2: Um, I'm not sure of the timing for the Tailand Bend circuit and uh, the, the construction timetable and what events it's chasing. So uh, I think that's the uh, the most likely one uh, to take that spot if it uh, happens in time.
3: Richard. Yeah, I can't see any more in Australia. Technically, Talon's already kind of been announced and they've been quite open in the fact that they're targeting a V8 supercar round. But as Pete said, when when construction actually really gets underway for that will be the the big question as to when they can get a V8 round. Whether that's announced this year once they've got a firm idea on when the thing's actually going to be built, um, that might be the outcome. But outside of that... Pickings might be slim for Australian circuits in the uh, in the
0: near future. And once again, more a chance of uh, trying to keep all the Australian circuits on the uh, on the map rather than uh, adding to them. Unfortunately, in Fiat Supercars, we go through phases, and uh, one of the phases, Richards, has been the super team model. Now, four car teams are only being run by. Uh, what what we call now PRA, Pro Drive Racing Australia, and Nissan and uh, Walkinshaw and uh, Dick Johnson Racing years ago all bailed on the four-car team. Interestingly, though, Triple Eight has moved to three and we do have uh, Brad Jones Racing still operating with three. But my question is... Is the super team's model no longer viable in the current economy and in the structure of their supercars?
3: Um, that, it's a tough question because how do you define viability? Um, if you've got a team with a manufacturer behind you, i.e. Nissan Motorsport, um, who contribute to your budget, who contribute to your R&D, who's got good commercial backing like those, that team does, um, solid anyway, um, then four, four cars absolutely works. Um, if you're walking to your racing that relies on commercial sponsorship for all four cars, bearing in mind Holden tip into the Holden Racing Team side of the equation, uh, and you're also relying on licence holders and the, the racing entitlements contract holders to want to stay there, which some of them didn't, um, then no, it doesn't. So, I mean, it, it, it's a cut to 22. And like every business, it's, they're going to tailor to what suits... The current climate and what suits their business model um every team is going to boast that their current arrangement is better for them so when walkershaw went to four cars they said oh no this is going to help the holden racing team we've got four sets of eyes four sets of data you know it's going to be great and the last 12 months have been about how this is much better for the holden racing team to focus on themselves two car team lean mean fighting machine so they're always going to tailor their own story um I I think we'll continue to see four-car teams if that model works for a team that wants to be a four-car team, if that makes sense.
2: Peter? I think it comes to the uh, ability to sell the sponsorships. go back in time, it was okay to sell two very large sponsorships that covered your four cars. Mm. But now, those four-car teams that that you've mentioned... uh, they have to sell those sponsorships one car at a time because the pockets aren't that deep anymore. And I think that's probably the, the telling part that uh, Walk and Short Racing, uh, selling four complete packages, uh, or the packages to cover four complete cars, um, the dollars just weren't there. They didn't have the customers. Uh, so I think it's uh, downscaling because of the uh, lack of paying customers, lack of paying sponsors. Um, rather than the economies of scale uh, really failing on them. Mm.
0: All right. Now, this one's a tricky one ahead of the break. Which driver, Peter Norton, will win the championship in 2016?
2: Oh, it's a little early to tell. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting about Clipsal in a couple of minutes because of the, the, so many changes that we've had in the off-season. Uh, so really stick my neck out. I'd say Van
3: Gisbergen. All right. Richard? Uh, my heart says I think Craig Lowndes has still got it, and we saw that last year, but every other fibre in my being says Shane Van
0: Alright, well we'll leave uh, you with that for the moment A break and then more on Inside Supercars
1: The views expressed on Inside Supercars Including the panellists and guests Do not reflect the views of the network Thunder Media or Sport Radio Any publication or rebroadcast of the show Without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media Is strictly prohibited Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars.
0: Welcome back to Inside Supercars as uh, Peter Norton and Richard Crowell join me, Craig Ravel. And uh, Richard, which driver made the best off-season move? Now, I've, this has been restricted in some way because, like, Craig Lowndes hasn't been included in moving to a individual boom, which. I think, is a uh, positive move there and possibly a great move. Chaz Mostert going to another boom as well, going to the 55, wasn't included because it was uh, an inter-team change. So I'm going to give you the names of the drivers that you can pick from. James Moffat, Tim Slade, Tim Blanchard, Aaron Russell, The Gears, David Reynolds, Will Davison, Chris Pither, Cam Waters, Dale Wood and Fabian Coulthard.
3: Without question nor shadow of a doubt, Will Davison.
0: Okay. And
3: I, I, I don't think... Will's massively upgraded himself, hasn't he, from a really challenging environment um, where he was before to what is essentially, and I'll deny it until they're blue in the face, but what is essentially the fourth 888 car, sharing a boom with Craig Lowndes this year, quasi teammate, data sharing with Van Giesbergen, Winkup and Lowndes, um, Steve Hallam-led techno-organisation... Really good move. He's elevated himself back up into the top five or six rides in the championship, I think. So brilliant move, Will Davison. No. in that box. Peter Norton? Well,
2: I might just break down that uh, list of uh, Richards a little bit. For Will Davison, yes, a very good move. But uh, my hesitation on, on this one is that, well, that might change today, actually, with one of their releases. Uh, and that was that... Uh, uh, Daryl Lee will be sponsoring that team uh, again this year. Before that announcement, I think there was a question mark about the funding. And uh, I think that um, uh, that team didn't have a great uh, season in 2015. So while they've connected to 888, it doesn't guarantee them the uh, the kind of speed that the, the proper 888 cars get. Uh, Fabian was also mentioned there just a moment ago. Um, yes, uh, Jolly good move, that one. Um, I would expect that uh, the Penske uh, touch to that team will get them very much equal to Pro Drive Racing Australia, perhaps even a nose in front. But based on the the last quarter of last year, the Red Bull cars got their advantage back, didn't they? So I think uh, Van Gisbergen jumping into a Red Bull uh, with all of the, the might and power that that organisation can bring I think that the Giz made a, a small step, but that's the step that he needed to get to the top.
0: Mm, Van Giz was my pick as well. Will there be, Peter, any wild cards in season 2016?
2: Well, uh, this one becomes interesting, doesn't it? Because some of the hardware that's trickling down to the uh, to the Dunlop series is current spec. Uh, so it does allow a team that's running a car for you know, the, the whole season to uh, uh, you know, pop their, their card in uh, for the big dance in October. Mm. So I think it's uh, even more likely this year. And, of course, we saw two cars uh, as guests to the uh, uh, to the, the big 1000 in October. So I, I think, yes, we'll see a couple.
0: And, Richard, you've picked up my deliberate mistake. There's already a wild card announced, isn't there? The Super Girls, what is it, Super... Yeah, they're... The they're already announced. The so I yeah. guess uh, uh, I have made a mistake with that question.
3: What you mean is additional, additional wildcards. Yes. Uh, I think we knew your meaning. Um, but it's an interesting question, isn't it? And, and what's been interesting for me is seeing who's already announced their co-drivers. So we saw Dick Johnson or Team Penske announce their uh, bikes alongside Scotty Pye and Fabian Coulthard the other day. We've seen HRT already confirm their guys. What will be interesting for me is how many of these kids that are running Car of the Future cars this year... Probably front and centre of that group would be a Todd Hazelwood-style character. Um, How many of those get plucked out and put into a main game co-driver seat? Um, And then, whoever's left, who gets together with the current spec V8 and puts together a Bathurst program? Um, And it is much easier to do now. Now that these teams will be running these cars full season and they'll have the benefit of amortising costs over a year and all the good things that come with it, um, that might make a Bathurst program a little bit more reasonable. So I think watch the co-driver market. Once we see who gets snapped up at a DVS, that might give you an indication of who's left uh, to put together a, a wild card campaign.
0: Mm, it certainly paid off Aaron Russell last season. Uh, Richard, should Dunlop cars, the new-gen cars we were just talking about, be allowed to race in the 1,000 to increase that grid size and, and get that uh, class racing feel back in it?
3: Uh, But it it wouldn't really, would it? Because they're all the same cars. Um, Well, you know, you could
0: still say the Dunlop Series winner was... The Dunlop
3: Fast. yeah. Yeah. That's a tough question. And and I I suppose it follows on from our last discussion, is that how many would do it? I mean, you could make it as free and open as you like to run those cars, but the bottom line is if people don't have the money to do it, they're not going to do it. If they've got the money to do it, they'll get a wild card and they'll have a crack anyway. Mm. So... For me, that's the question. I, I, I'd, I'd love to see 35 cars in the 1,000. Having said that, I would argue, Tom so Blue, in the face of the case that has having 26, 25 cars the last three or four years affected the quality of the motor race. And I would say no, not even slightly. So, field's one thing, but quality for me is uh, just as, if not more important.
0: Mm. And, uh, Peter, it is a an interesting one because uh, by... If answering yes, were you to answer yes, does that mean you're saying that the Dunlop 250 has not worked?
2: Well, that's exactly what I was going to contribute to the discussion is that if, over the last couple of years, the, the Dunlop 250, the, the Saturday race at Bathurst, it's growing in stature and importance. So uh, it's giving these, uh, uh, many of them, the, the young drivers up and coming, uh, the experience of a, a longer race, Um, and all of the new challenges that that presents at one of uh, Australia's best circuits, of course, as well. Um, Yeah, if we allowed the car of the future to automatically enter the 1,000, you're really cannibalising your own event, being the the Saturday race there. So I I don't see them uh, allowing it just from that strategic uh, position of trying to build the Saturday
3: race. And the other, if I can jump in on that, Aaron Noonan wrote a very, very good story late last year, around the same time as the the 1,000, about a plan that would fix exactly that problem, which was now that Supercars owns the 12-hour, run the Dunlop series, their opening round, a 250k race on the Saturday of the 12-hour, in February, start of the season, in you go, bang, um, and then run a GT race, be it one hour, two hours, whatever, three hours on the Saturday of the 1,000 as a warm-up to that. So then you get crossover of the eight activity at the 12-hour, GT activity at the 1,000, cross-promotes both of their Bathurst events, both build off it, and then you separate the Dunlop series from the main game. And that might encourage more guys at the end of a season, nine months down the road from February, to get involved. I thought that was a brilliant idea from Noons and, and back it wholeheartedly. That would be the way to fix fix the problem of getting Dunlop series cars in the middle 1,000. He is a thinker, that boy, isn't he? Hey, uh,
0: um, this one's close to your heart, Richard, since you jumped in there, and uh, I want to know, will V8 supercars announce a test day at the Bathurst 12 Hour in 2017? I shouldn't
3: be allowed to comment on this, should I? Go uh, on.
0: Well, anyway, it was a heated discussion we had on last week's show with Fogues, John Bannon, and myself.
3: Mm -hmm. What what did uh, the great Mark Fogarty think of that?
0: Uh, he said, if they want to get numbers there, then they have to do it. And uh, John was, it'd be nice if they did. And I was, absolutely, you do not bastardize the two by running them together. You're you you know, uh, you're taking a, a valid chance to um, raise revenue as a team by offering your services to McLaren and, and, and Audi and all these other people. But if you're doing a test day, then you've got to be focused on that.
3: Uh, yeah. Be- look, bearing in mind that I uh, technically work for them um, with the 12-hour, um, I, I would prefer to see what I, the scenario I... Well, Noon's pitch last year, um, which was run the Dunlop series there. I, I don't know if you'd get as big a benefit as some people think you would get from running AV8 Supercar Test days on the Saturday before the 12-hour. I, I, I don't think it would... I'd, if they're expecting that it would bring an extra 15,000 people through the gate, I don't know if it would. I don't think it would. Um... Eastern Creek was great because you can get to it it's unless traffic's playing the game, um you can get to it reasonably efficiently, it's in a city area. That's just a three hour drive, it's very difficult to do as a day trip. You might get four or five thousand more, but would it be an enormous boost in crowd numbers? No, no I, don't know. I don't know. Yep. Hey. Oh, I would prefer to say dumb observes.
2: Um, I think it would completely confuse the punters. Uh, and the, the audience at home, the people reading the papers, that kind of thing. Uh, we've yeah. spoken at length about the disaster that was the, the date clash uh, when they tried to go head-to-head. Um, and, and the classic I keep coming back to was when uh, Jamie Winkup got bitten by the snake at the promotional launch uh, at the zoo. You know, people at work said to me, oh, did you see that Craig Glown's got bitten by a snake in the lead-up to the 12-hour? To the, the, the punters just, you need to
3: keep them separate so you don't confuse them.
0: Yes, and, uh,
3: well, and... what would you marketing about? How would you promote that? Like what? what how much emphasis would come off the 12-hour into promoting the fact it's a V8 event? And, and that comes back to what Pete was saying, so I, I agree with that.
0: Yep. Um, will new or even returning manufacturers' support be announced in 2016, Peter?
2: Oh, it's hard to see, isn't it? The it's really lost momentum of the the different manufacturers uh, having a a sniff and getting interested in it. And, in fact, um, we saw had a sniff. They did a bit of promotional work. um, They were looking like they had some positive momentum, and now they're pulling back uh, a fair bit. Yes, they're still involved, but they've really diluted down their enthusiasm to put a car on the grid. And I think that... uh, uh, some of the announcements around the GT class, uh, for example, uh, BMW as a, a customer operation with Steve Richards, you know, they're putting their focus into building their GT customer base. They're going to have their product on the racetracks in Australia through that avenue. So I think that's becoming less likely to see some of these other brands, uh, particularly if they're in GT, we won't see these other brands uh, fronting up for a V8 uh, campaign.
0: Nicely plugged there, because Stephen Richards is on this week's Inside Motorsport, talking about the customer program, so nicely uh, cross-promoted there, Peter. (laughs) Richard?
3: Um, Look, uh, to to answer the question directly, I think Nissan will renew, Uh, Volvo. I don't know. Um, Ford, we know, are gone. Holden will obviously be in, and they've already basically committed that they'll race with the next-gen Commodore, or whatever it might be. Um, The the broader... (laughs) broader all the to that and attracting new manufacturers is V8 has got, in my eyes, two problems at the moment. One, it's unique. But I do that those cars are raced. So there's no crossover like there is GT3. You can't buy a BMW M6, bring it to Australia and race it like Richo's doing um, in V8 supercars. Two is that it's expensive. So you can have a unique category if it's not as expensive. And this is what the British Touring Car Championships found in that they run a unique set of regs that are unique only to the United Kingdom in two-letter racing in the world, but they took a lot of the cost out of it. It's still expensive, but they cut a lot of the costs that was S2000 and Super Touring before it, and as a result, they've got a full grid, and it looks to be relatively healthy. And importantly, they've got manufacturers back, and Subaru are running a full-car team this year. Jason Plato helped organise So. If you draw a lot of the costs out of it, and this is what I think the Gen 2 supercar should, should be doing, draw a lot of the costs out, you can keep that unique platform, and that might be the impetus for new manufacturers to come in. Otherwise, I'm not sure where they're going to come from.
0: Mm. Well, Richard, I know you're going to the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500 this year with, of course, our good friend Tony Shibeki. Do you think there'll be any new international events announced for VH Supercars? Do you get another trip overseas, perhaps in 2017, when you're not going to the 101st Indianapolis 500?
3: He says I'm not going to the 101st as well. I might get addicted to it. I might move over there. <laughs> I might fall even more in love with it. Um, oh, probably. I, I think so. From what, um, from what James Warburton's been saying in the press, and that's obviously very, very different to what's actually going on in head office. Um, there's, there's positive moves around that There's events that want to come into the championship and international circuits that want to host it. So, will they be announced this year? Ah, oh, look, there's a reasonable chance that they will be, yeah. Um, especially if they want them on the calendar for 2017. They're going to have to. Peter? Oh, crystal ball
2: is what you need. Uh, not just on motorsporting issues, but world economic issues and political stability and all sorts of things like that. Um, what's the exchange rate going to be? Will there be any... Uh, uh, uprising in the Middle East—all of those sorts of things really do complicate the picture. Um, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think the, the economy is, is not not great enough. Um, our Australian dollar hasn't fallen enough. Uh, I'd be quite surprised to see any major announcements real soon.
0: All right. Now, question without notice, which I'm sure wasn't allowed to go into the uh, into the survey. Will the V8 be running at KL? Mid-season, Peter.
2: Um, we saw some uh, news releases on that one just recently. That the uh, they had uh, a few legal problems. Uh, the the original promoter, uh, the promoter has been moved sideways. A new promoters come in with uh, stronger links to the government. Uh, the event's been renamed. Um, I took from reading that that it's more likely that the event will go ahead. I thought there was uh, some big question marks around it uh, before that announcement. So uh, I think it's it's more likely, yes.
3: Richard? Yeah, I think it'll happen. I think it has to happen. Um, they're too far down the road to have another once-a-year event. Um, it, it has to get off the ground, doesn't it? And this needs to be a stable, long-term prospect for, for V8 supercar racing. And, and what a great location to do it. It looked epic on television um, last year. So, uh, yeah, it has to work.
0: And the critical thing is it's a much better business model for V8s where they're doing the television and bringing a, um, and bringing a class. It's, a, it's got two revenue streams, if you like, which is uh, far more lucrative than one. Guys, we need to take a break, and we haven't even spoken about clips yet. Join
1: in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Fort Radio Facebook page... for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. there actually needs to be Inside a structure... Inside Motorsport broadcast on community, radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome
0: back to Inside Supercars. Peter Norton from Inside Motorsport and Richard Grail from Speed Week and, uh, well, just about... Anywhere you want to turn on the TV, you can hear Richard. Uh, of course, uh, Radio Le Mans, he's already finished a 12-hour stint there.
3: Is this where I plug him on Channel 10 for the Grand Prix
0: doing the V8? So... Oh, this is yeah. when you do it, yes, exactly. Right. Uh, <laughs> Clips are 500. It's in your backyard, Richard. It is bigger than better than ever. You hinted at some of the improvements, and that's been the hallmark of this event since it uh, went from being a Formula 1 event to becoming a V8 supercar event is... Every year they've done something, they've added something to the event to uh, make punters want to come back and people love it even more.
3: Yeah, it's the archetypal event for not just having the on-track product at its absolute best, and bear in mind there's stuff on track generally each day from 8 o'clock through to 6, if not later. Um, But having stuff off it to do as well, and without risking the dive into the PR handbook for the event. I mean, they've, they've got Toby Price here, for crying out loud. Um, Australia's new sporting hero after his Dakar triumph um, on their motocross endurance event they've got running out in Victoria Park. So that's going to be something incredible. It just adds to it. They've got amazing concerts. Um, very, very excited to see Icehouse playing. I've um, been a, a long-time fan of theirs, so that's a big tick in the box for me. Um, and the teeny boppers get Rob Thomas over here on Sunday night. Um a tremendous it's just a great event isn't it and, and i love you guys coming over from interstate and rocking into adelaide when the weather's superb warm during the day perfectly mild at night the city's alive with the fringe festival and the adelaide performing arts festival and everything else going on it's a great time to be in adelaide and um and i love having you guys over here to, to see the city cause, um, the best time of the year to come to uh, come to
0: South Australia. Yeah, well, the Performing Arts Festival just gets my uh, extra revenue dollars every year. Peter, the thing is, it, there's always such anticipation about what could happen, and the last two years, James Courtney has been the man that's made it all happen.
2: Yes, it's uh, always been exciting to see him climb up on the the roof of the car and do his Frank the Tank uh, uh, performance. Um, He's the ultimate showman, and uh, I think that fits the uh, the nature of the event perfectly for all the reasons that Richard mentioned as well. It also has uh, some some momentum about one of the uh, support categories and that's the GT class. Everyone's excited about that because we saw them uh, performing so well up at Bathurst uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It also has new cars coming into the the GT class, and we've we've touched on uh, Steve Richards with the BMW, for example. And that's all before we start to talk about the main game. We've got uh, so many uh, changes in in colours and drivers and uh, team restructures and all of that kind of thing. in theory, and, and people say this uh, every year, you know, that this is the most open it's been in years, uh, and uh, you know, in some respects, we'll see the pecking order reorganised quite dramatically. Um, we've already touched on the fact that uh, maybe out in front, Red Bull. Uh, are expected to be out in front. They they had the form in the final part of the year. Their driver movements have uh, gone pretty well. Uh, Craig Lowndes having his uh, separate pit boom. Uh, A lot of things have gone well for that team. So uh, I think that uh, most of the debate will really be about uh, the people in the the rest of the pack. But there's still plenty to talk about there, isn't there?
0: Is the Oval FGX going to be able to continue to improve?
3: Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and, and PRA are a good team and and they got that car switched on early last year and yes, Triple Eight caught them up but was that more a symptom of Triple Eight being off the pace early rather than PRA being on the pace and, and in front of the pace early in the season? I suspect it was a bit of both. Um, I, I suspect as the season went on PRA came back to the field a little bit but Triple Eight caught up big time and made big gains. So... I think that was a big part of the ebb and flow that we saw in last year's championship, which which saw PRA break away in the early part of the season and then have to defend in the second half of the year as the Red Bull guys came back at them. Um, Bearing in mind, of course, that Craig Lowndes led a bulk of the the early stages of the championship. Um, So that's a tantalising storyline. I I think they'll still continue to be very, very fast. I don't think the complete nutter withdrawal of Ford will affect the performance of those cars or, indeed, the two DJR Team Penske cars. In fact, I think in that interbrand battle, it could be the Shell Helix cars this weekend, the the DJR cars, the Shell livery back on them, um, that could be the biggest threat to um, DJR Team, uh, to PRA, I should say, because um, they're um, they're going to be really, really strong. As Pete mentioned before, they're they're looking really good already. Scott Pine, Fabian Coulthard, who was a winner here last year. So, um, yeah, that, that battle's going to be fascinating, but to answer the question in a very roundabout way, and I apologise for that, Um, yes, they'll still be fast, and yes, they'll keep unlocking more speed from those cars.
0: Well, don't worry, Richard, it wasn't question time, and Peter didn't object to you being (laughs) off-topic.
3: I'm pleased. This is why I don't live in Canberra. Hey,
0: uh, one of the interesting things for me, and we've already talked about the uh, drivers who made the best move, but... I'm interested in seeing a a couple of moves and seeing how they might pay off early. Tim Slade in the Freightliner and David Reynolds in a 100-year-old Walkinshaw Commodore. Peter?
2: I I think you're being a little bit unkind about the Walkinshaw equipment. Um... Well, I nearly uh, tongue-in-cheek mentioned David Reynolds as one of the, the best moves in the uh, off-season. Um, he went from uh, uh, not just on the bench, but way out the backyard, uh, to actually still having a drive. So I think he's uh, he's done pretty well in securing that. And of course, the, the move to the, the, the Holden Commodore rather than uh, you know, persevering with the Mercedes—that just you know, the, the development there. Um, stopped because of you know, funding and other sorts of challenges, they've gone to something that's more mainstream, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Dave Reynolds has dodged a very big bullet. Um, yeah, 100-year-old car, I think that's unkind. But oh, that's I don't the car e-
3: that won at Quitzel two years ago. That's <laughs> car from two years ago. That's a good car.
2: <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, equally, I, I don't expect it to be a front-runner um, for most of the year. All
3: right, Richard? No, they're going to struggle early on. They're starting from a clean sheet of paper again, like they did with the, the Mercedes, the 63s that they started with. And and they've got an inexperienced teammate in, um, in Aaron Russell. He's in his first year in the main game. So he's going to be getting up to speed while they're trying to develop these cars. So there's going to be a lot on David Reynolds' shoulders. Um, it's going to be character-building year for him. I, this could be the making of the man. Um, this could be the season that we all need David Reynolds to have to come out of it a better driver of the side because he's, he's ridden the wave with PRA last year and was amongst the fastest guy in the championship, won some races, was third in the series, lost his ride, um, and, and now he's got to bounce back with a team that's got these cars for the first time that are proven to be race winners on their day, not consistently, but on their day they can win. Um, He's got to lead that charge and, and get that development program right and, and get their setup up correct so that they're going to be fast. Um, it's going to be a great story to follow. don't think they'll factor Eclipse, though. I think that's uh, asking a little bit too much of Erebus Motorsport.
2: And I think that there's a, a real opportunity here for Reynolds to uh, prove his worth to a team. We saw Nick Perkatz um, sort of end up at the tail end of the field with the Lucas D'Umbrell Commodores, and I thought it was a disaster of a career move. But he's actually turned that into uh, really building his personal brand. That he could take a, a team that was uh, always last, and he helped develop the team. He developed the uh, you know the expertise and the morale and the organisation within that. You know he showed some leadership capabilities to drag that team, and in particular his car, up to be a, a top ten uh, contender many weekends. Uh, So if Dave Reynolds could do that, I think he can earn back a whole lot of respect.
0: Is this the last chance saloon for Lee Holdsworth, Peter?
2: Oh, everyone loves Lee. He's an agreeable bloke and uh, all of that. And unfortunately, the the results really haven't come, have they? Um, Well, in some respects, you'd have to worry that, um, that that's a... In many respects a brand new team uh, having started up from uh, from scratch uh, it's going to be a tough year for them to really show their their talent isn't it
0: richard
3: um it, it's, it's very very difficult to put the onus on the driver as pete said when it's a brand new team so how much if, if they rock out at Clipsall and they're 20th um and they qualify 20th and they race 20th and that's that's their maximum performance. How much of that is Lee Holdsworth being maybe past his time in V8s, or how much is that a new team? If at the end of the season they're still there, the question's probably the same, but the onus might be more on the racing car driver rather than the team because you'd expect over a year that they would improve, especially with the brainpower they've got helping to operate it. But it's very, very difficult to judge a first-year operation that started from scratch... We don't see many of these these days. Usually they're teams that have bought other teams out, a la Erebus. Um, So that's a really, really tough question, and I don't think there's a way to answer it fairly. Um, The only thing I could say is probably no, because um, I I don't think he can prove himself this year, unless he wins races. If he Hmm. wins races, he's a hero, and it certainly isn't.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Now, one other move, and teammate... uh Um, Teammate... um, uh, Oh, gee, I can't even think of the right word. Teammate camaraderie that I'm interested in seeing is over at Volvo, Richard. The Moth and the Kiwi. Yeah,
3: that's only a good thing. And those two are mates, that's going to be good. They might have their friendship tested at times, but there's nothing wrong with that. If it means that they push the team forward... Um, Volvo, Gary Rogers were on this enormously high trajectory after 2014 um, and they stalled last year they stalled with reliability dramas and in the first half of the year the performance wasn't there either Um, they got their reliability fixed and then slowly the performance came back so that by the end of the season they were back to being the fast consistent race car that we knew and loved from the year before Um, so I think Adding James Moffitt to that squad is a great addition. He's a very fast guy. He's got attitude. He's a bit fiery at times. I don't have a problem with that. Um, And that might push Scotty along even more. We might get a better Scott McLaughlin than the one we've already got out of having a gun like Moss in the 34 car. So good signing. It's going to be a great, great intense battle to watch between those two. Peter? Um,
2: Agree strongly. Not much more to add.
3: I think Richard covered that well.
0: All right. Then the white flag lap will be up after this break here on Inside Supercars.
1: Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page. And to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. you know. Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task.
3: Uh, we are able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to have, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rafferty family.
1: Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm
0: David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Well, we've had a bit of overtime, but it's been well worth it with Peter Norton and Richard Crowley. Your white flag lap. Final thought or observation?
3: Isn't this where you want us to pick our top three for the
0: Clips of 500? This is your final thought and observation. The punters, the bookies, they've been sitting on the edge of their seats. Right.
3: Right. Third place. And and now we're talking... The Sunday race, no, yeah. which is the Coupsville 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, in third place will be Scott McLaughlin for Volvo. In second place will be Frank the Tank, R. R. James Courtney. Mm-hmm. And on the top step of the podium will be Shane Van Gisbergen, the Flying Kiwi, who's in the form of his life after winning in Mount Panorama and the Little Molly Bathurst out. will settle into that brand-new 888 Commodore that he's got and he will smoke the field. That's what's going to happen. There you go.
0: Peter in a final thought or observation? I wouldn't possibly expect you to do what Richard can channel each year. It's almost like we recorded a week late.
2: <laughs> um, I'll just run through a, a, a quick one, two, three, uh, and then have a final thought. Ben Gisbergen first, Courtney second, and might that be an exciting finish, uh, and uh, Chaz third. And final thought, I can't wait for qualifying and the First corner of the first lap of each race, as we see Van Gisbergen and Wincup fight to see who gets the pit lane priority. That's going to be a ding dong battle. I don't think either of them will back off. Uh, there could be carnage.
0: Mm. Well, my final thought was something that Richard said earlier. You know, you're getting old when Richard says he's looking forward to seeing Ice House, and I remember seeing them when they were called Flowers.
3: <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs>
0: It is is a real worry and uh, that's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Thanks very much Richard Crail.
3: Cheers, no worries.
0: And Peter Norton. Yep,
3: thanks guys.
0: Until next time around, keep smiling and bye for now.
3: Inside
1: Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au